All right. Well, hey, we're continuing our series, just our summer series called Lessons Learned. And basically, you know, I went through uh, a lot of years of trying to figure out what's going on with Christianity. You know, this this faith that I had, I didn't have a whole lot of context. I didn't have a whole lot of understanding of how it was supposed to work. And so it took me a while. But I think in the last 30 plus years, I've picked up a few things. And, and we've talked about all a whole bunch of different things. Last week, we talked about searching for the holy thing. You know, that's one of the difficult things about church is that church can kind of get busy and the holy thing can kind of fade away. And even on our lives, there can be the holy moments, the holy things, and we can miss them. And so we need to search for the holy thing. We need to find the holy thing. We need to interpret the holy thing the right way. Like, for example, with worship, is it entertaining music or is it a deep connection with God in worship? Well, it can be either one, depending on what your eyes are able to see. And so we want to have good eyes and grab hold of the holy things. And today we're going to talk about uh, the fact that we have an enemy. You have an enemy. I have an enemy and it's the devil. So not exactly a super fun topic, but a very important topic. So let's pray and we'll get into that new material here today. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to just try to figure it out the best we can and consult YouTube and and, uh, the social media in order to find truth. But Lord, we can look directly into your word. Father, thank you for that. You guide us by your holy scriptures and you guide us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, you would guide us right now as we seek you, as we try to grab hold of something good from you. Lord, I pray that you would meet us, each one, and give us just what we need so that we can take a step forward in our faith in you, in serving you, and in trusting you. So, Father, bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, you have an enemy, the devil. Our enemy schemes, lies, tempts, prowls around, traps, and weasels his way into having a foothold in our hearts. And so we need to deal with this enemy. We need to make sure that we understand what's going on so that we're not taken as a fool. And then we need to get the victory. And that's where we're going to get by the time we finish this sermon out. So Satan will go after anyone. Satan even went after Jesus. So we see that in Matthew chapter four. Let's read through that account. Matthew four, the temptation of Jesus in the desert. We'll read verses one through 11. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. 
So this is an amazing interaction between Jesus and the devil. So it's pretty wild stuff. Satan tries a bunch of different tactics here. But first, let's try to make sense of Matthew 4.1, because it says here that Jesus was led by the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's amazing. Remember the, the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? You know, like This is kind of the opposite of that. So what, what's going on here? Well, for sure, uh, we can pray along the Lord's Prayer. You know, We can pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But the fact of the matter is, all of us have to face the temptations of the enemy, our own temptations of our own heart, and then Satan himself can come in and be the tempter and try to pull us and, and take us places we don't want to go. So we need to be ready to face that temptation. And it was the time for Jesus to face the temptation to prove that he could pass the test to not fail and cave to temptation, but overcome. And then he would be ready to go into his ministry in power. So the reality is we must all take our stand against the enemy. We all face that temptation. This is a universal test that everyone needs to pass. Everyone who believes in God and those who don't, the devil will destroy those who don't believe in God just as much. He's the equal opportunity destroyer. But if you do believe, then you still have to face the temptations of the enemy. It's a universal test we all must pass to get to our fullness in Christ. Will we overcome or will we fall for Satan's lies and go in his direction? It's the universal temptation. Are we going to follow Satan's lies or are we going to follow the ways of God? So let's look at three tactics here. Uh, Satan comes at Jesus in three fairly similar, but also different ways. Let's look at these. The first one, Satan appeals to pride and physical comfort. So remember, Jesus has not eaten for 40 days. He is very hungry. And Satan says in verse three, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Got the two parts. If you are the son of God, I don't really think you are who you say you are. Of course, Satan knew who Jesus was. I mean, there was no question in his mind. This is all very, very clear to him. He's aware of those spiritual situations. Now, Satan isn't uh, aware of everything. He's not like God who's all-knowing. Satan doesn't know all, but he knows a lot. And he knew that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was uh, called to be the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the one who would lead mankind to God. He knew that, but he's appealing to pride. If you're the son of God, oh, you say you're something fancy. Well, prove it. Show it by turning these stones into bread, which of course then meets that physical need. So Satan is appealing to pride and he's appealing to physical desires, physical needs. But Jesus doesn't fall for it and he counters with scripture. Verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's great. Jesus doesn't fall for it. Then Satan does tactic number two, which is an appeal to pride again. And then since Jesus quoted scripture, Satan's like, all right, I can quote scripture too. So that's what we get in Matthew four, five, and six that we read. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. 
If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So again, if you're the son of God, oh, you say you're something fancy. Oh yeah, I don't believe you. Let me see it. And Satan quotes scripture to Jesus to try to get him to follow his temptation. But Jesus again doesn't fall for it. And here's something really important. Don't just believe somebody because they're quoting scripture. The devil quotes scripture. So, you know, I've seen too many people falling for just junk theology and hype and conspiracies because somebody's just quotes a verse. Oh, it must be good. They quoted a verse. It's biblical. It's not necessarily biblical just because they're quoting verses. Satan quotes verses. So don't fall for stuff like that. Jesus didn't fall for that. And he quotes scripture back again. He, he turns it the right way. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then Satan in tactic number three, he offers Jesus a shortcut. You know, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. He is going to come and rule and reign. The second coming, he's going to come and reign on earth. If you know about end times things, Jesus is going to return and he's going to rule. There'll be a thousand year reign and there's a bunch of stuff about that. But What Satan is offering Jesus is a shortcut. You want to get where you're going? You want to be king of kings? Tell you what, I'll do that for you right now. Just bow down and worship me. And so Satan offers him a shortcut and Jesus does not fall for that either. He doesn't fall for it. And then he puts an end to it. We read here verses 10 and 11. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So that's when the devil left. He finally said, away from me, Satan. So that's a very important thing. We'll talk about that towards the end. Get away from me. You quit bothering me. You go. Jesus says, away from me, Satan, and Satan leaves. So we've got a little taste of what the devil does. Some of the tactics here that he used against Jesus. We'll talk about that more as the sermon goes on. But... I want to talk about a problem we have in the church. So there's a Barna study from 2009 of about 1,800 American Christians, self-described Christians. And of these, bunches of them didn't believe that the devil was real. So there are people that believe in God, but they don't believe the devil is real. So here's what it says. You can you know look this up on the internet, Barna Research from 2009. It says, four out of 10 Christians So 40% strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. So just a personification of evil, but not actually a living being. An additional two out of 10 Christians, 19% said they agree somewhat with this perspective. So 59% of Christians in this survey believed that for sure Satan is not real, just a personification of evil, a symbol, or are pretty sure that he's not real. That's the problem. And the problem that we have if we don't believe that our enemy is real is that then you are really easy to fool. If the enemy is trying to fool you, trying to trick you, trying to deceive you, trying to manipulate you, and you don't even know that he's there, then you're going to be a lot easier to trick and to fool and manipulate. You don't want to be that easy to fool. And then the bigger problem, this is the one that hurts my heart the most. The bigger problem is that if you don't believe that Satan is out there, if you don't believe you have an enemy that is there to steal, kill, and destroy, 
then you're going to blame God for what the devil does. Don't look at the circumstances in your life that Satan is bringing to tempt you, to harm you, to destroy you, and somehow think it's God. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. That's a tactic Satan has used since the time of Job. Don't fall for that. I want to go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. And this is just a very, very important verse because it helps us understand something significant, very simple, but also very, very significant. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And he's referring to Satan, I believe, also to just the darkness, you know, both the evil in the world and the devil himself. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Jesus is about abundant life. The devil is about stealing, killing, and destroying. So if we see stealing, killing, and destroying, and we think, wow, that's God's blessings in disguise. No, that's Satan trying to destroy you. He is the stealer, killer, and destroyer. God is the one who brings life and life more abundantly. So we don't want to fall for that. And understand, if Satan will go after Jesus, who he's doomed to fail against. He's not going to beat Jesus. He should have known that, but he's going to try anyway. You think he might go after us who are weak and not nearly as bright, <laughs> not nearly as spiritually pure. Might he go after us and have something easy to destroy? Of course he will. Now, uh, let's hit the center of the target with this. Whenever you start talking about the devil, demons, you know, evil spiritual forces, some people can get really weird and go flying off into like there's a devil behind every corner. You know, they're looking for witches. And I mean, it's just like, just relax. The devil is real. Demonic forces are real. But you don't want to go flying into that's the only thing you think about. You want to think about Jesus. You want to think about the Holy Spirit of God guiding you through life and the victory that we have in Christ. In the scriptures, direct references to Satan or the devil, there's less than a hundred of them in the whole Bible. You know, I mean, this is a big book. So it's not like we should ignore this, but we shouldn't be spending all of our time focusing on spiritual darkness. Turn on the light, live in the light, but understand if you live in the darkness, there's some evil there that can create you a lot of problems. So don't go looking for a demon behind every corner, but let's be real and remember that Satan is there and he's trying to harm us. So let's be aware of it. Don't fail to realize that 1 Peter 5.8 is true. Very important scripture, 1 Peter 5.8, which says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So it's saying here, pay attention, be alert and of sober mind. You have an enemy and he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, don't be the one that he can devour. Don't be that gazelle that's on the outside of the herd, you know, just kind of doing their own thing over there. Be the one on the center of the herd in the safe place. Then you're going to be in a lot better shape because the devil does prowl around like a roaring lion. But we want to do the next verse. Verse nine, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So the whole Christian world was under the attack of the enemy, you know, back then, and it's still true today. The enemy has not just decided, well, if I can't beat them, I'll join them. 
Satan is trying to destroy the church of God. He is trying to destroy all those who are following Jesus. So we need to resist. And then we can stand firm in the faith. And we can understand this isn't some bizarre, strange thing that's only happening to us. It's just the way it is. So we need to be ready. So what are some of Satan's other tactics? We looked at what he was doing with Jesus, appealing to pride, physical comfort, quoting scripture, offering a shortcut. What are some other things that the devil does? Well, let's talk about the book of Job. You know, it's a 42 chapter book. And so we're not going to read the book of Job, but I want to summarize it. You know, you can read that on your own. This is a summary of the book of Job because it's all about Satan and God and people and how there's an interaction there. So here's a quick overview. Job is a great guy that God has blessed in many different ways. Satan doesn't like Job. And he tells God that Job only worships God because of the wonderful blessings that he has received. So God allows Satan to destroy Job in every way except for taking his life. Satan takes away Job's family. Satan takes away Job's wealth. And Satan takes away Job's health. Then there's about 35 chapters of Job's friends telling him dumb stuff. Job thinking things and trying to make sense of it and kind of wandering into different errors. There's just a lot of mess. And I tell you what, in today's world, uh, when somebody's going through hardships, don't be the person who says dumb stuff to them. Sometimes people just need a hug, you know? Give them a hug. Sometimes that's just all that there is to do. So there's about 35 chapters of confused discussion. And then finally, God shows up and defends himself to Job and then makes Job twice as prosperous as he was before. So what's the deal with that? Job is great, doing great. Then Satan comes and wrecks everything. And then God comes back and uh, puts everything back in order. So what's going on? What's Satan up to? Well, Satan's scheme with Job was to hurt Job in order to drive a wedge between God and Job. So Satan's over here trying to drive a wedge between Job and God by hurting Job. So here's three lessons from the book of Job. So I don't want you to fall into this scheme of the devil where you go through some hardship and then that pushes a wedge between you and God was going on thousands of years ago in the time of Job. It's going on to this day. Satan will hurt you and try to get that to separate you from God. So here's three lessons from Job so that we don't fall for the devil's scheme in this area. Number one, God is good and the devil is bad. Okay. When God was in charge of what was going on in Job's life, it was good. When the devil was in charge, it was bad. So God is good. The devil is bad. Don't get that backwards. Very important. God is good. The devil is bad. Number two, even if you are innocent, Satan can gain access to your life. Remember, Satan tempted Jesus. Jesus didn't have any sin. He was perfectly innocent. In fact, Satan likes to hurt innocent people. And Satan came after Job because he was a good guy, not because he was a bad guy and, uh, you know, left a big gap. It was that Job was a good guy. So even if you're innocent, Satan can gain access to your life. So don't think that you've somehow sinned and failed that the enemy comes after you. Uh, he goes after everybody. And then number three, this is, I think, the most important lesson from the book of Job. When you're going through hardships, don't insult the character of God. It can be hard to do because you're in such pain. And when you're in pain, you want to share that pain. But when you're going through hardships, don't insult the character of God. Don't fall for Satan's scheme. Satan's scheme was this. He hurt Job and then he whispers in Job's ear, isn't it terrible that God did that to you? 
This is my version of it. You'll be like, oh, it is terrible. I can't believe he treats you like that. You trust him? Well, yeah. I don't think you should. Look, he's hurting you. Don't trust him. Come with me. I'll, I'll give you something back. Of course, Satan's lying when he does that, but Satan wants to pull you away from God when you're going through hardships. So don't fall for Satan's scheme. If you're going through something incredibly difficult, run to your healer, run to your deliverer, run to your savior, run to Jesus, the one who can help you in your time of need. Don't fall for Satan's lies and causing you to run away from God in your time of greatest need. Run to God, stay connected with the Lord. So that's what Satan was doing with Job. What are some other things? Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 talks about the foothold. So this is actually the thing that the devil got me with. So, you know, uh, people can fall for the devil's schemes. As an early believer, I was unaware of these sorts of things. And this is a lesson I had to learn some years ago, but I fell for this. So Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't have dark emotions in your heart when you go to sleep. If you have dark emotions, you have to deal with them. If you don't deal with them, then the enemy will get a foothold. So Satan will use negative emotions like anger, jealousy, feelings of offense, and then he will build on those to pull you away from God's plan for your life. This is what he did with Judas. Judas saw the expensive gift that was given to Jesus. He got offended by that. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm turning you in. And he goes to turn in Jesus for 30 silver coins. And the, the scriptures say Satan entered into him. So Satan was involved with the offense that Judas felt and it got a foothold in his heart. Anger is something that can build inside of you. And I'm telling you, sometimes people use this verse talking about marriage, you know, don't go to bed angry at your spouse. I'm telling you, don't go to bed angry at the government. Don't go to bed angry at other political people with different beliefs. Don't go to bed against different subcultures, uh, angry with, with different subcultures. Don't go to bed with those dark emotions. You deal with those things or the enemy can get a foothold and start pulling you away from God's plan for your life. Again, I fell for that. And we'll talk about that next week. There is freedom, but Satan will use a negative emotion like anger, jealousy, feelings of offense in order to Basically, we give him an easy button. He just keeps pushing the easy button in our heart and it pulls us away from God. So let's rise up and live a life worthy of the calling we have received, not give Satan an easy button. Another one is Satan's schemes against leaders. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So overseer, we could use the word pastor there. I think that's a fine, fine translation. And then verses six and seven, as it's describing what an overseer should be like, six and seven say he must not be a recent convert for he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So if you advance too quickly, then you can become conceited. You can get prideful. You can start thinking, yeah, I'm all that. And then, uh, of course, that's where Satan was. And you don't want to share the same heart as Satan. And that creates serious problems. And then verse 7, I think, is also very interesting. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. 
So the devil is trying to trap people who want to be overseers, who want to be pastors and leaders in the church. What is the trap? The trap here, have a good reputation with outsiders. So if you've got a lot of junk in your past, Satan will bring that up muckraker style and try to uh, get you discredited. Don't be afraid of that. God redeems, but don't have that stuff still in your character. If God has taken you from darkness into light, don't be ashamed that you used to be here. Use that against the enemy and say, oh yeah, I was there, but now God has brought me here. I used to be like this. Now I'm like this and God has forgiven me and redeemed me and he can forgive and redeem you too. You can turn that on his head. So don't be afraid of that. But if you're still stuck in that, if you're building your house on sand, he's going to bring that up and let you know for sure and let other people know. Um, Satan will also tempt leaders so that they will sin and then that will get exposed. And then he also will tempt other people to lie about leaders, to misrepresent, exaggerate their grievances and gossip about them. There's all kinds of stuff he'll do against leaders. And then also Satan's schemes for division. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where we get another indication of the schemes of the devil. So 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, there was someone who had sinned, done terrible things inside the church. They called him on it. And uh, Paul was like, you got to deal with this. So they deal with it and they deal with it harsh. And then the person is like, oh, I'm really sorry. I can't believe I was doing that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that anymore. I need to change. Help me change. And, and so that's where they're at. And then here's where we pick it up. Verse 10 of chapter two of second Corinthians. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So Paul is saying, hey, let's make sure to forgive so that Satan doesn't outwit us. How is Satan trying to outwit the church in Corinth? He's trying to drive them apart. If you know about 1 Corinthians, there was division in the church. Satan was already beginning to drive that church apart into different camps. And now if there's unforgiveness and there's a lack of restoration and we just judge people and stick with it, that person's bad and that's it, then that is something that the devil will use to divide the church, to destroy the church. So the devil wants to divide us through unforgiveness. Don't fall for that. When the person repents, it's time to forgive and restore. Now, that doesn't mean that you are an enabler. You know, there's a whole bunch more to say about that. But just because you forgive somebody and you restore a relationship with them, you know, doesn't mean that you allow them access to your life to exploit you understand that. There's more to say about that, but that's for another time. All right. So there's lots more to be said, obviously, but I want to make sure in our, our last few minutes, there's a few things that you know for sure. I got three things I want you to know for sure. Number one, the devil doesn't fight fair. He's going to lie. He's going to deceive. He's going to twist the truth. He does not fight fair. He likes low blows. He'll hurt innocent people. He's just yucky and ugly. The devil does not fight fair. Next thing, this is big, 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 big. So ready? Focus. You are not a helpless victim. So important. We're talking about the devil, his schemes. He's got all these things he's trying to do to us. You are not a helpless victim. You are someone who can overcome. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
We saw that in Matthew chapter four. Jesus says, away from me, and Satan leaves. So here, James is saying we can do the same thing. We can submit to God. Jesus was submitted to his father. We submit ourselves to God, and then we can resist the devil, and he will flee. That's an incredible promise. You are not a helpless victim. You can do what Jesus did away from me. You can say to Satan or the demons or even just dark thoughts in your head, you can say, shut up and get out. That's what you need to do. Don't entertain the enemy. Don't entertain evil spirits. Just say, shut up and get out. That's what you need to do. You are not a helpless victim. And then Ephesians 6, 11 says, we should put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You can stand in faith and you can overcome. You are not a helpless victim, but you must submit yourself to God. That's how we'll finish here in just a second. And then point number three here, these last few. First one, the devil doesn't fight fair. Number two, you are not a helpless victim. And number three, in fact, the devil is a defeated foe. Charles Spurgeon has a book talking about Satan, a defeated foe. Billy Graham resources have a bunch of stuff about Satan as a defeated foe. Guess what? Jesus has already conquered Satan through the cross. The, the time clock hasn't run out yet, but the victory is already won. So we need to stand in that victory, but the game is still going on. So we still need to protect ourselves. You don't want to get a blindside block, smackola, and out you go. You, we're still playing the game. Protect yourself at all times but the devil is a defeated foe. So hallelujah for that. All right, let's finish this thing up. I want you to know that the devil is your enemy and he's the enemy of all people. And I want you to understand his tactics so that you don't fall into his traps. Very important. And I want you to feel empowered to get the victory. You need God on your side. I'm no match for the devil. You're no match for the devil. But guess what? The devil is no match for our God. That's why in James 4, 7, it doesn't just say, resist the devil and he will flee. It said, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee. You are no match for the devil, but the devil is no match for our God. So when we stay unified with God, then we can resist the devil and he will flee. So I want you to feel empowered to get the victory. I have seen people kick demons out of their house. I mean, I'm serious. It's not popular to talk about in nice circles, but hey, if you're dealing with some demonic problems, you need to submit yourselves to God and then resist the devil. Tell him to shut up and get out. He will flee and you're going to have to enforce that. You're going to have to keep on that because he'll come back. So I want you to feel empowered. So we're going to go into prayer here. Again, this is what I want for you. I want you to know that you have an enemy in the spirit realm that is real, but that you have tools given by God so that you can get the victory. And you have to submit yourself to God first. So that's another big mistake that people make. So if you, if you need to submit yourself to God, if you need to get yourself right with God, now's your time. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy, the love you have for us. Thank you, Father, that though we fight this battle now with all the dark forces on this earth, Lord, we know you are going to rule and reign and, and Satan is going to be bound finally and taken care of and thrown into the lake of fire and it's going to be great for eternity but lord right now we are fighting against the darkness we are fighting on the day of salvation and so lord help us to recognize the devil's schemes 
not be unaware of his schemes. Help us to see the deceit and the lies and the pain that he causes and let us run to you, Lord, not blaming you for what the devil is doing, but understanding you are our healer. You are our deliverer. You are our savior. You are the one who loves us and will bring us to abundant life and everlasting life. And Father, for those right now who, who have not submitted themselves to you, but I, I pray that you would prompt in, in our hearts if we haven't submitted ourselves to you, like it says in James 4, 7, maybe we've been going to church a long time. Maybe we consider ourselves a Christian, but we haven't actually submitted ourselves to you. If that's you, if you can feel that, then uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have not learned your ways and walked in your ways. I've gone my own way. I've sinned and fallen short. Please forgive me. Please forgive me of my past. I believe that what Jesus did on the cross to pay the price for the sins of the world is sufficient for me. So Lord, I believe that I receive that forgiveness and Lord, help me to walk with you every day of my life, continually submitting to you, continually resisting the devil and seeing him flee. Lord, be with me, empower me, give me strength in Jesus name. Amen. And father for the rest of us, help us to continue walking in your ways so that we can resist the devil and see the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.